When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that vocal shouting. It's Dainer and Jay. It's Dainer and Jay. All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Eater Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on a Tuesday as we are fully into the off-season portion of the program. A lot to get to, though, today. Jay, how are we doing? Great. You said athletic. Is it, is it Atlantic or is it athletic? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, do Yeah, the Atlantic. <laughs> poor, poor the Atlantic catching shrapnel on a Friday <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to the T. Higgins internet debacle uh, the poor Atlantic and those that are unable to read or comprehend. We'll dive back into that in, in a little bit. Just st- stick around uh, for more of that. M- meanwhile, I'd like to talk about real things that, you know, the, the intelligent listeners of our program understand um, how to talk about. And so let's start here. Let's, we're going to get to the coaches uh, on this staff. Mm. Uh, that are up for jobs, including those that are narrowing down. And one may be being announced as we speak. I don't know. Uh, We'll get to those. We're going to talk about the uh, Joe Mixon misdemeanor aggravated menacing charge that was dismissed and some of the uh, ins and outs of that. Uh, We are going to talk to Mike Potts, Bengals Director of College Scouting, uh, who's going to – a portion of the interview that I had with him uh, talking a little bit about you know, the building of this team, building versus sustaining and some of the challenges on their plate and some of the successes that they feel like they've seen and a little bit about Duke Tobin too. Um, so excited to bring you some of that. Mo Egger uh, is going to join us. We're going to talk about AJ Green, who retired um, yesterday, his career, his legacy in Cincinnati. Um and we're going to conclude our betting segment, of course, with him. Uh, we're going to have Arby's, where I will dive into the T. Higgins debacle uh, that occurred on Friday. And uh, we'll talk a little, I don't know, we'll see where else that goes. Uh, we have one more growler bet for you, too. Uh, we'll yeah. do some Super Bowl growler bet for you, and we'll get some Super Bowl picks in for you. It'll touch on all that stuff. So, like I said, a lot to get here. Jay, you're technically on vacation. I appreciate you coming off of it just to do this for the people, a man of the people. I am. It's a staycation. I, I mentioned on a previous pod that my wife had foot surgery, so I'm just kind of playing nurse with her and uh, you know, just kind of decompressing from the season and happy to happy to talk Bengals uh, one day on my vacation. Yeah. Well, if we see her screaming and yelling in the background here on uh, YouTube, we will make sure we, we take a Take a time out and make sure you take care of her. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody that's watching on uh, on YouTube and commenting. Hit the likes, subscribes, comments, all that stuff. We we love having you here. Um, let's start with this. Uh, coaches up for jobs. A little update there. Lou Anarumo, um, uh, the, amongst the, the two, believed to be only two at this point now, finalists 
for the Arizona Cardinals job as Brian Flores was supposed to be a third one. Uh, he has been hired by the Minnesota Vikings as their defensive coordinator. So you have Mike Kafka uh, and Luana Rumo both going in the second interviews this week. Luz is uh, reportedly scheduled for Friday. So the thought being they conclude it this week and then at some point in the near future beyond that, maybe early next week, you will get an announcement of who it will be. Um, obviously, the Bengals would love to keep Luana Rumo. That is no secret. Um, he is the one that if he left, uh, there's a little bit more challenge There's as far as the coach and waiting, defensive coordinator and waiting. Um, but, you know, Lou getting the respect that he deserves uh, from Arizona and a potential to step right in there and take over that head coaching gig. We we talked about it last week where if the if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, then you can pretty much lock in Bengals at Chiefs for the Thursday night season opener. If the Eagles win and Lou gets this job in Arizona, maybe Bengals at Cardinals uh, week one, Sunday night or Monday night. I, I think that would be uh, an interesting matchup and they are playing them. I I don't know how much to read into this, but when you look at the list of candidates that that Arizona interviewed, it was defensive heavy. Like it looks like that's the direction they wanted to go. They did. I mean, Kafka is an offensive guy and they did talk to other offensive guys, but more so than most teams, they, they had a, a number of defensive guys that, that, that they were interviewing. So I, I wonder if, if that does make him the front runner, obviously it's going to come down to this interview that's later this week, but um, it, it just look in at the way they structured this job search. I, I think that, franchise is is leaning for a defensive guy and then hoping he can bring in an offensive coordinator that can can get Kyler Murray straightened out. Um Monty Austin Ford is the uh GM uh mm -hmm. over there now they just hired him from the Titans we mentioned this last week. People that listen to hear that podcast growling uh might know a connection between the Tennessee Titans where he previously was and the Cincinnati Bengals. You saw Lou Anarumo and one of his best friends in coaching, Terrell Williams, on this episode together back in August. Um, you know, clearly I'm sure Terrell has made him aware uh <laughs> of Lou Anarumo and then maybe that helped in the very beginning of this process of of getting him in the door, but maybe that was also part of this. And also I'll understand Tennessee, Mike Vrabel. Um at the time he was hired, maybe a less discussed defensive minded coach who came in with a certain attitude and style. Um, keep him. I mean, you know, you you are a, very much of a product of your past and what you've seen succeed, and, and maybe that has shaped a little bit of this head coach search uh, for Monty here and trying to find his Mike Vrabel. And, and maybe that's who Luana Rumo is. I don't know, but we'll see how that goes. What happens next if Lou does go is kind of a big part of the next conversation. It's hard to say. I mean, they have, a, they have plans in place. They're not sitting here saying, oh, well, Lou or bust, right? I mean, they have plans in place of the direction they would go next, but there are a lot of it does get taken off the table of what your options could have been when you're this late in the process. I mean, we've seen how many of these coordinator positions fill now. Uh, mm -hmm. across the league um you know i a, a name that i've heard you know that you see out there looking like, what happens to vance joseph next right i mean he 
has a history here in Cincinnati. Bengals ownership liked him. They talked to him uh, when they were hiring Zach Taylor as head coach. I don't get the impression that he would be in the mix here. Um, but again, that was just a name that had been thrown out there. But I'm not in the impression that he would be in the mix here. I, you know, where they go, I think they have their plans if they need it to be. But I think the the main hope still at this point is. One, they would love Lou to get the job, but if he doesn't, they'd be very happy to welcome him back to Cincinnati. As all Bengals yeah. fans uh, sending uh, the distress <laughs> gifts to my mentions uh, are the same way right now. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Vance Joseph because the Bengals also blocked him from interviewing uh, back at, at a time where yeah. they, they liked him so much they wanted to keep him around. And would they do the same with, with James Betcher if Lou gets that job? Because you know he's Lou has worked with Betcher in New York and, and Betcher was a he was a Cardinals defensive coordinator for three years from 15 to 17 he's been a defensive coordinator with the Giants he's had that job before um would you don't want this to look like 2019 where you're going to the combine and you've got your defensive coordinator is meeting the rest of the staff for the first time um he would be the most logical promotion from within but again if if Lou wants to take him with him would the Bengals block would they would they block that move all this to be seen. Let's flip over to the other side of the ball. Brian Callahan still in the mix in Indianapolis. That job, I think there's a thought we're going to hear soon. Like mm. um, They have done an extensive search. As Zach Kiefer pointed out in Twitter, on Twitter this week, we are now four weeks into the Colts' extensive <laughs> search. There is going to be no way that whoever they hire has not been thoroughly vetted. Uh, and Brian Callahan amongst the finalists there, and they wait. They wait to see what comes out because it's Jim Irsay. Like that's the wild yeah. card behind this is there's no knowing for sure where it's going to land, um, what decision he's going to end up finally making here. Um, is it is it going to be Saturday? Is he going to go back down that route? Is it going to be one of these other guys? There's still a lot of names in the mix amongst those finalists. Uh, so everybody kind of sits and waits to see who that's going to be. Again, you could be listening to this right now, and it may already be out mm-hmm. um, who who they have picked. But as we record at this specific moment, and it heads out into the internet, uh, still unknown, Brian Callahan in the mix. Um, connected to that, Dan Pitcher going to go to Tampa, interview a second interview in person with the Bucks, having done a Zoom. We mentioned this again last week. It's, you know, the idea is Dan Pitcher is the offensive coordinator in waiting potentially mm-hmm. here in Cincinnati um, and could take over that job if Brad Callahan got the head coaching gig um, in Indianapolis. If Brian Callahan stays, you would think Dan Pitcher, certainly if he could got offered somewhere, which he has opportunities, um, would probably be moving on to take that job. So the Bengals would be in need of a quarterback's coach um, either way. Yeah, is there anyone outside of Indianapolis more interested in in the timing of when that's going to get announced than Dan Pitcher? Because that certainly would uh, affect his future. I, I'm. Is there an unwritten rule where it, you don't make a an announcement on a new coach or anything major within a certain window of the Super Bowl? I know nobody's going to do it on Super Bowl Sunday, but it, it feels like as it gets later in the week that you don't typically hear these kind of things. I don't. It, it's just another reason why it feels like that that Colts decision is coming very soon. It could be today as we record this on Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a matter of teams wanting to have their moment um, in the mm. news cycle. Um, and so you, you, you don't want to get too close to the Super Bowl, but I mean, 
you know, we saw when, once you clear it, once the deck clears on Sunday or, you know, you're still, you're still multiple days out. You still have plenty of time to own that news cycle um, here. So we'll see. Troy Walters also interviewed for the OC gig under D'Amico Ryans um, in Houston. He'll be up again. He could be somebody who could step into a more prominent role here as well if he does stick around. That's a big OC job. I mean, D'Amico Ryans be a yeah. defensive guy. That's going to be – you're probably going to be grooming a young quarterback. You would expect them to draft. Um, there's a lot happening there. That's a big gig. Uh, Troy Walters uh, certainly would be up for it. It would be a great hire for them if they can get it. Otherwise, the Bengals will happily take him back as well. That's a little bit of the update on where all the coaches stand. It's the big thing of the moment. Okay, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that we're projecting out into the months, multiple months, years uh, that are uh, on the minds and topics of everybody right now. Uh, but uh, of of this moment right now, that's what everyone's kind of got their eyes on. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the the thing. Um, I I I saw a report where it looked like the Texans were getting really close to Ben Slowick. Uh, so I don't know um, if that's been named or not, but that would that would. Uh, free Troy Walters up to be to to stay on here and possibly if if Brian and Pitch both leave to to slide into that OC role here. Yeah, and you never know. I mean, could end up on another staff. There could there's still dominoes to fall. There's still you know when you still have head coaching jobs out there, everything kind of holds a little bit at a standstill. Nobody wants to pull them. So I mean, Brian Flores did, but you rarely want to see yourself pulled out of something and and you miss out. People are worried about missing out, but there's a lot of people in waiting, staring at those last two jobs that are still open. Most of them are coming from inside the I two seventy five belt. <laughs> All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to the Joe Mixon situation, which happened after we recorded last week, just to kind of recap into that. Uh, of course, it, a warrant uh, was issued for Mixon's arrest for misdemeanor aggravated menacing um, was issued and the charges were dismissed uh, the next day uh, with the the judge in city of Cincinnati stating that um, they, they both admitted uh, that the prosecution and the judge that they reserve the right to refile and the victim wants to go forward with a refile if when they do. Um, the city uh, puts out a statement admitting, oops, yeah, we kind of botched this one pretty bad, didn't we? Uh, that, oh, yeah, that investigation protocols should have been followed. They were not. Basically, they never really properly went forward with this thing getting investigated. It sat there for two weeks um, after being filed the day of the Buffalo game. And the timing being right before the Bengals would have left uh, when this was filed. It was a road rage incident. Um, at least all of this was what was reported uh, with a gun being pointed out of the window that tied back to Joe Mixon. So, you know, all of this, there should be video to see. There should be other investigation that can be done. Uh, all By all accounts, it appears that is what's happening now 
is maybe they're actually doing the investigation they probably should have done in the first place before putting a warrant out and seeing if that leads to anything or if it does not. So that's where that sits right now. But, um, you know, nothing essentially comes of all, you know, what should have come. I mean, a a warrant shows up for a major player's uh, arrest. That's massive news. Um, Turns out it mounted to nothing in that moment. Yeah, but as you said, it, it could still be refiled, and it's just it, whatever comes of it, it's it's not a good look for for the Bengals or for Mixon. So it's it, we'll see what where the city goes with this, but um, you know already you've got him listed as a a possible cap casualty, and this is not going to help keep him around. Yeah, you know, I I was on with uh, Jeremy on Fox nineteen on their sports wrap on Sunday, and he kind of asked me, you know, if the Bengals made a move on Mixon, what kind of effect? would what happened have? And my answer was this, you know, what we know, um, this is, this was going to be a football decision. First of all, first Mm -hmm. and foremost, however, if there's information they have about what happened that we don't, um, that could affect it. What we have, what we know, um, I don't think it would have much of an effect at all. Um, if there's more to the story that, you know, isn't out there, which is very plausible. Again, we said they're looking into that. Then maybe that would have a little bit of an effect uh, on the decision. But that said, um, he was already going to be in that conversation before any of this, before any of this happened. This was already a very serious conversation about the value of of keeping Joe Mixon around or saving that you know seven and a half million or ten, depending on whether you're post June one or not, um, on this year's cap. Their cap meetings, you know, are still happening, ongoing, about mm-hmm. to happen. I mean, they're not even, they're just getting into that process. Their season just ended. They just got back from Mobile. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff to be had as they hash all of that out. But I think it's going to be about football, unless, again, there's another portion of this that really is only really known to them more than it is to the public. Yeah. It's, it's just a wait and see at this point because, you just don't know what, what the city's going to do. And, um, I do, I, we, we talked about it. I mean, Mixon and, and LC were the, the two big, uh, likely casualty cap casualties. And, um, this doesn't change much. No. Uh, okay. Working on a story, um, this week, uh, on sort of the personnel staff and what exactly is you know where they're at where they're going forward and how things stand from a roster building standpoint talking to uh mike potts also steve merdisevich uh director of pro scouting uh but i i I, so part of the interview i had with mike i wanted to bring you guys uh chop this out and so you can get a little bit of feel for what's going on with the Bengals inside of their personnel room and uh, a little bit of a reflection uh on how they've gotten to this point uh, right now. So here is my little bit of my conversation with Bengals director of college scouting, Mike Potts. Let me ask you this. I've, I've referred to the end of the season as maybe the best stretch of football in the history of this franchise. Um, what, what do you think allowed the 2022 Bengals team to hit that rare gear that we just don't see NFL teams hardly ever hit? Um, honestly, from a personnel perspective, I would probably have to boil it down to just the people that we've brought into the locker room. That's 
I mean, I think, I think you see it being around the team as much as you are. Um, just, I think we found the right formula in terms of what we're looking for, both as, as a player and as a person. And we've really stuck to that. And we've, we've got a lot of good evaluators on, on our scouting staff, uh, with a lot of, with strong work ethic. And, and again, it's, it's, we know exactly what we're looking for. And that's, that's probably what's led to most of our success. I mean, obviously we brought in a lot of talented players, but the, the, um, I think the formula that we found is, is bringing in the right people that I know you've, you've written about it. A lot of people have written about it and it's out there publicly, just, just guys that love football or who are tough or passionate about the game, smart, you know, there, there's a lot of different factors we, we look for, but, you know, I think that's on t- a lot of guys are talented across the league, but you, you want to have the right people too. And, um, you know, with, with some of the guys we have leading the charge, filling in the, the rest of those pieces with the, the right people has has helped us win a lot of games. So there's there's a lot of factors, but that's probably the one that I would boil it down to. I know you always believe in that, and that's something you build the formula knowing that that's you know, what can make a team win. But having watched it now over the last two years, uh, are you? is it, one, easier to spot exactly those types of intangible traits and how they'll play in your locker room and two are you more of a believer now in that you know in 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 the personality aspect of things than you maybe were before watching this team over the last two years i think i've i've always believed that i don't i don't know that it's made it any easier just being i mean i mean i've been around football my whole life, you know, all the guys on our staff have been, all of our coaches, you know, there's a lot of people that have been around football their whole life. It's not some, some secret sauce that, that we have. Um, but it, it started probably four years ago and then we're just seeing the fruits of the labor, uh, these past two years. So it's, it takes time to, to build these things and bring in the right people. It's not like you can just have one draft, you know, you're picking at the top of the draft, you have one draft and you bring in seven of the high character people that, that you want, who are also great players and all of a sudden it just flips. Um, but you know, we, we did flip it relatively quickly, but it's been, it's been, I, th- I think looking back, it's been a four or five year process to, to build it to where, where we have it right now. And we have to, we're not satisfied. We, you know, we didn't, we didn't win the, the final game. We didn't, we did by, by no means um, consider this succeed this season, a, a full success, but um, we're going to keep building it and, um, you know, try to, try to set it to where we're, where we're um, holding the Lombardi at the end of the, the year. Let me ask you this as you guys, you know, are in the, the plotting stage, you, you guys have done all the hard work during the season and you're putting your, you know, your boards are together and things like that. But when you're, you're plotting the entire picture of free agency and, and all the stuff in the draft and how it all fits together for the 23 Bengals. It, it, it seems like you guys have now turned the corner a little bit from build to sustain. I mean, you're always kind of doing some combination of both, but clearly now you, you've got a lot of things you want to keep going. Is there a difference in that? Is there any difference in the process for you guys at all? Or is it the same when you're talking about working on sustaining the level that you're at versus when you were guys in more of a build mode? I think there's some differences, but there's also similarities. I mean, we're still looking for the, the same kind of people on the same talent level. And, and we've got the, the right evaluators in place to evaluate that talent. I think it's more just the, the cap situation, right? You know, it's, it's just in terms of, you know, maybe we can't go out and afford those, high dollar free agents or, or as many of those as, as we would have if, if there wasn't going to be, you know, certain, certain players that'll, that'll eat up a good chunk of the cap. And 
Um, I think it puts an emphasis on, you know, both retaining our own guys and keeping that chemistry in the locker room going. Um, you're going to have to make some tough decisions here and there. So that's, that's a, another factor that, that comes into it, whether to, whether to keep certain guys or move on from it. And then it just puts a, a premium on we've got to continue uh, to draft well. I think we, we've done well recently, but we've got to, we've got to keep it going and hopefully even take it up a notch um, in, in order to, to have those, those guys on the rookie deals. And that's, that's what we want is we want to then pay those guys and keep our own for the, the second contract. But um, it's, it's, you know, to answer your question, it's, it's similar, but, but there's, there's some restraints on it in terms of the, the cap stuff and just, you can't fit as many guys as you would have normally. Yeah. We, I mean, you know, Duke's obviously been doing this for a long time and gone through a lot of different stages of build and sustain and draft develop all that stuff. What have you taken from Duke as to, you know, why he's been so successful um, and maybe, you know, what is something that people don't realize uh, about him? He's not as out there uh, as a, some other, you know, prominent people who are building teams around this league. What what, what have you taken from him and sort of, uh, you know, what do people maybe not realize about uh, him and, and what he does? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, couldn't be an easier guy to work for in terms of he just lets us, you know, handle our own business. There, there's no micromanaging. We can do, you know, we, we can put our own spin on anything that that we're doing, whether it's from the college scouting, the pro scouting, some of the cap stuff, some of the analytics stuff that we do. So he's just going to trust us to, to do our work. And I think what he's what he's built here is a staff that's very obviously everybody knows we've got the smallest staff in the league by a significant margin. But we also use that to our advantage. Um, there, there's good aspects of that in terms of our small our staff is small. Yes, but we're all here in the office every day if we're not out there on the road traveling, scouting. So the communication, um, you know, that he he's put in place just with the structure of our staff um, and the guys that we've hired, the communication is, is excellent in terms of, you know, other teams may have 20 guys scattered across the country living in different locations. And we're in constant communication uh, because of what, what Duke's built and, and the structure that he has set up here. Um, and that, that really helps out. You know, the scouts are always coming to me with guys that they like or maybe guys that they don't like, guys that we need to get extra eyes, on, extra set of eyes on to evaluate. So, um, you know, I think he's he's done a really good job. And, and you know, we, we kind of hit rock bottom there. And, and you kind of I think in a way you show your show your true colors and your true character when you're, your back's up against the wall. And then we were able to, to build it the, the way that we have. Um, and there's there's still more steps to be taken, but a, a lot of credit. Um, is deserved on on his end in terms of of the way that that we've got everything set up, the, the guys that he's got um, on our staff and our personnel department, and uh, you know other other uh, areas of the of the organization as well. So yeah, I can't speak highly enough about about him and the uh, you know the his personal character and and the the job that he's done. I mean, a lot of uh, you see a lot of people in that type of position. They're flashy, right? They're be <laughs> out there. I mean, I think w- when he goes on the uh, on the podium at the combine, it's like uh, you can sense, like, okay, I- I'll do this because I have to. But a lot of other people, uh, they want to be out there. I mean, the, it's sort of it's, he fit, he's always kind of fit Cincinnati in that way to me. I mean, the under the radar nature of the of the franchise of the town of the small, you know, it just. Have you kind of felt that way that like, is there a, do you in, embrace and enjoy that aspect of it? It's just like, there's no flash here. Like everybody's just kind of about the work and the love of the game and the love of putting the team together. It, it comes from him, I would think. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably one of the, at the top of the list of, of things that I appreciate about him for sure. There's absolutely no ego. Um, he's not going to be in there stubborn in our meetings and say, no, I absolutely like this guy. I'm not going to be open-minded about listening to you. There's no, you know, fraudulence out there or, or some public persona that he wants to put off. He's just a genuine real person. And I think that um, kind of, kind of gets spread throughout the, the rest of our staff as well. And, and the guys that he's hired and, and yeah, it's, it's a, a great place to, to work in that way. And it's, again, there, there, there's no ego. So that, that's, that's how you, you want to work. You don't, you don't want to be, you know, if you're a younger scout, you don't want to be uh, scared to step up and say your piece and, and, you know, voice your opinion on, on certain players in fear of, of what somebody may say. So it's a, you know, a lot of people throw around the, the word culture, but it's but it is a good um, work environment, work culture. Um, and that, that stems from him. All right. Great to uh, catch up with Mike. I want to, um, you know, Jay, I, I always ask you about takeaways uh, <laughs> after you have these. And, and I wanted to kind of just state a little bit um, from talking to Mike. You know, I just think. One thing he talked about is finding, you know, the the concept of finding these right guys and understanding um, how personality and the type of player you want uh, fits in this room and how that's sort of blossomed. And you know, my question being, has it has your attitude on that changed after watching what's happened the last two years and how much of an effect that has had? And he, he pointed out, no, this has really been a four-year process of valuing that, going back to the beginning of the Zach Taylor age. You now are just starting to see it really come to fruition. You've always wanted to do it. You've always wanted to value that. But I think what has stood out is how much when you really value it, when you really put it to the forefront and and it can pay off for you. And I think that's something that you've seen happen with this personnel staff since they've kind of, you know, reconstructed and taken that on uh, over the entire tenure. And and it showed big time in this year's team. Yeah. And I wonder because yes, they've been, it's something they've been invested in for four years and trying to build this culture. But when it gets to this point now, can, can you maybe go after a guy that doesn't quite have that. You don't expect a rookie that's going to come in and rock the boat. He may not have all the, the, that personality, every box checked, but you get him in and, and they see what the rest of the locker room is like, and they kind of get in line, so to speak. And so I do wonder how much that they would be willing to, to stray from, from that. Now that the culture is not, it's in place, it's not being built. And you saw that last year. I mean, we talked about, I remember Zach Taylor during the, in the combine and pre-free agency talking about, you know, you're a little bit more willing, maybe in a spot here or there. I think we saw that a little bit in Lowell Collins, someone that you feel like you're, you can take a little bit of a chance on that maybe some of the league isn't because Frank Pollock, right? And you, you feel like you've got an insight into that. You've got some reason to believe in in whoever that personality is that maybe some in the league are questioning. Uh I, th- I think that's part of it. Where you can drop it in in spots because the culture is so good, but you still, I think when you're drafting where Potts is coming from, I think you're still talking about that as such a big part um, of your core that that's really so much of of what matters most. The other thing, talking about Duke Tobin, uh, 
And it just it struck me when you talk about somebody who's not all flash about the work, kind of fits the team, no ego comes up again. I mean, it's really there's a position, and a lot of these guys will be standing on the podium in Indianapolis in a week, in a, in a month, at the end of this month. Uh, there is a lot of ego, coaches, mm. GMs, my way or the highway. And we've talked about this across the coaching staff a lot, right? Like we, we talk about that, how they've built it that way. It stems from Duke too, who really since the beginning, I mean, in the fact that he's never wanted to chase some high profile GM gig, he's never wanted to leave Cincinnati. He's never demanded a title of general manager, even though he basically has it. You know, he's never wanted to be out in front of all the interviews. He does it because he feels like he should. Um, and is happy to point to point out that any of the like guys like Mike, like Steven, put yourself out there. That's that's you know, be talk to us anytime, right? But doesn't have to be the same with himself, doesn't seek that for himself, right? I mean, I think that's a big part of the entire thing and why he's meshed so well with Zach Taylor. And I mean, you can even extend that further to to Joe Burrow. He's yeah. not, you know, the same thing. He's not out there chasing all these endorsements and trying to do get flashy commercials. And, and he is he's same way as Duke. He's all about the ball, all about football. And it it just goes back to you know, I, I know a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes with the, all the culture talk when Zach Taylor came in, but he is he has walked the walk. They have they have really built something here that that ripples through the entire organization. It's not just the locker room. And it, I, I think there's a lot to that. And if, if there was a guy that deserved to maybe flash a little ego, it would be Zach after all the, the slings and arrows he took early. And then he's gone to back to back AFC championship games and a super bowl. And uh, he has turned this thing around and um, that's just never going to be who he is. He, he's going to get up on the podium in Indianapolis and he's going to sound look and sound a lot like he did that first year in 2019. Yeah, and you know, they've got some decisions in front of them now as they start we we outlined last week. Um, you know, my three-part series is still up now. Uh you can choose to give it a read or you can just read whatever the internet says. I'm sure it's all right. Um, <laughs> and and you can you know, there's so many different ins and outs to where they go next. And and it's it's it is different when you're talking about sustaining, comparing to building a little bit. You start becoming much more cap aware, much more contract aware than you have been, where you've had the freedom. I mean, they've had the freedom. How do we gotta fix this problem? We can fix it by paying for it, or we can fix it by drafting for it, right? Mm-hmm. Now you might not have as much of the luxury to go out and fix things by paying for it. The good news is you have the base in place where you don't feel like you need to do that as much. It does It does change things a little bit. All right, let's just take a quick break. Jay, you took a look. This is something, this was kind of a, a reader question, right? Uh, yeah. A reader wanting to know a little bit, can you do a little bit of Jay's Got Stats research here for us on quarterback contracts in the Super Bowl and the Conference Championship games? Uh, what'd you pull up? Yeah, so thanks to William Jacob for this idea. I just went back 10 years because I 10 seasons gets you back to 2013. And that is, I know this is very convoluted, what's being shown on the screen right now. Basically, if it's if it's green, it's a guy on a rookie deal. And if it's red, it's a guy that was either making at least 20 million per year, or when you get back in the 16, 15, 14 years. Um, when the cap was much lower, a guy making 10% of the salary cap 
at least 10% of the salary cap. Um, and it's, there's a good mix. I mean, five, five of the 20 quarterbacks, Super Bowl quarterbacks on this list were, did it on rookie deals, including Burrow last year. Um, nine of the 20 were making 20 million a year or at least 10% of the cap. Um, and then Tom Brady twice and Cam Newton, uh, were, in that 9% range, they were just on the cusp. So those were big deals. The, the outliers are, are Mahomes, um, in 2020, he's only making 5.3 as early after signing that extension. Nick Foles was making 1.6 million in 2017 when he won the Super Bowl. He started the year as a backup. And then the one that, if you look, the one in yellow there, um, I, that is almost an ideal Burrow comp. That's Jared Goff. And that is that was his fourth year. So he, it was supposed to be the final year of his rookie deal, but he signed the big extension. Um, the the sum the the leading up to that, I don't remember when exactly he signed it, but in that off season between year three and year four, and so he was making considerably more or he, overall. But that season, it was still just ten million dollars. That and that's what you know, Paul. You've talked about that where. It, they're still going to be on that rookie sure. window for a couple years, even after Burrow signs a deal. But I thought that was interesting because Jared Goff that that was Zach Taylor's team. That was the 2018 Rams, and um, just a that that was an just a direct comparison of, of where, what the Bengals are going to be talking about this year with when Burrow's number spikes a little bit. Um, the the right two columns are the championship game runner ups. Um, again, a, a lot of green in there and a lot of red. And then there's just a few outliers. Um, Case Keenum was making two million a year when he took the Vikings. Uh, Carson Palmer was on a three year, 49 and a half million deal. But the, that year that he took the Cardinals to the, to the championship game, he was only making 7.4. <laughs> and then right, Ryan Tannehill was making 5.4 one year. But, um, that's you, even when these quarterbacks are, making these huge contracts, what you see in the red there, it's, it's, if you have a organization that can manage the cap, well, which the Bengals have done for years, it, it's not cap hell. And it, and you can still make these runs deep into the postseason If you structure everything else correctly around it. Or if your name is Manning or Brady. Yes. Yeah. Or Mahomes. <laughs> or Mahomes. I think that's the important part of this. And you're going to, I think you scared the living crap out of Bengals fans saying, uh, you know, Jared Goff is your Burrow comp. And I know you didn't yeah. mean it like that, but, you know, that's sort of, you know, that goes back to a story I did before the season started about what's the future of Joe Burrow for, you know, when you look at how he compares to others that have started the way that he has. And Jared Goff was in there. You know, Jared Goff had a really nice first few years. But once the money went up and he didn't have the same team around him and a lot of other things happened, um, he, he went off the pack. And, and, the, and the difference being, and everyone you talked to was these certain guys that that continue, that the the path getting harder doesn't take them out of the picture. It, it comes back to how they're wired, how they approach it, mm. and them kind of being transcendent players. The Mahomes, the Mannings, the Bradys, those are the guys that you need to think about. And I think people, you know, Bengals fans, I know, and they rightfully should think of Burrow in that vein mm -hmm. of, yeah. And that's again, why it, you know, you can say, is it harder? Sure. Of course it's harder when you have that much less money down the road to put into the rest of the team. But those guys have like Jay just showed there transcended.
and, and found ways to get past it. All right. We're going to get more into some of the other stuff there. First of all, let's um, take a dive into AJ Green, who retired yesterday, announced his retirement on Instagram, um, as only he can. Uh, man, a few words, just a quick word that he's done. Um, thanks to everybody that helped him along the way, and he's kind of off into the sunset. I thought nobody better to uh, talk about AJ Green with than, than our good friend Mo Eggers. Let's, let's go to Mo. All right, excited to uh, once again bring our good friend and yours, Mo Egger, VSPN 1530, into the program live from <laughs> New Orleans, Louisiana. How is New Orleans, Mo? It's awesome. It's my favorite city. I love it here. I enjoy it. Lots to do. There, There is lots to do. How was the food <laughs> last night? Where'd you go to eat? I went to a place. Uh, it's my favorite place here. It's called port call right? Yeah. It's on the yeah. edge of the French Quarter. It's uh, known for their burgers and uh, known for their cocktails. It's real old school. It's like walking into 1952. So I'm a huge port call guy. So I went there and, uh, and, and then I, uh, I bounced around the city. We'll, we'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> you, there's no other way to go. Correct. Around the city, yeah. Yes. yes. Um, we got a, a couple of different things. First of all, we're, we're going to get to um important super bowl bets and props and things like that here in a minute because we got we have an important betting season to finish off and see who emerges victorious but first of all i want to ask you about this i it's it's there's like there's like a million different ways to frame (laughs) this when we talk about someone's career and everybody want like we instantly want to go to like listicles and rankings and things like i don't want to do that because i don't like doing that (laughs) it's not fair um what stands out most to you about AJ Green's career? 2011 was an extraordinarily chaotic time for the Bengals. It wasn't a very fun time to be a Bengals fan for a thousand different reasons. They were coming off maybe their most unlikable team in 2010. There was a real bottoming out. Um, you know, that was the year where tens of thousands of season ticket holders turned against the team. Carson Palmer asked for a trade, and ESPN ranks them as the worst franchise in all of sports. And there was also a lockout. So all this stuff was happening, and yet there could really be no movement with uh, regard to the roster. It felt like the draft itself was an afterthought, and it was occurring against the backdrop of all this uncertainty. So much so that I barely remember talking about A.J. Green before he was drafted. I barely remember talking about who they were going to take in the first round. The conversation was about what are they going to do with Carson Palmer, and then when they finally drafted a quarterback, what's going to happen Is Andy Dalton going to be the guy? It was a really rough time to be a Bengals fan, and I'm sure a really rough time to have worked for that franchise. They had the the press conference from hell, 27 minutes of misery, Marvin, (laughs) Mike announcing the extension, and A.J. Green, I think more than anybody else, and, and I would include Andy Dalton in this conversation, more than anybody else helped us turn the page from that and emerged as this guy that you're like, all right, well, whatever happens with this franchise, whatever your criticisms are, you can build around that guy. And he was the exact opposite of what they had had at wide receiver. And look, Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson is the greatest wide receiver in Bengals history. Statistically, I don't think anybody, you can't mathematically dispute that. And he made the franchise cool, but there was also a, boy, the act is worn thin. Can I get a guy who is as good, but is not a headache? That was AJ Green. I mean, that's that's what everybody said in 2011, right? Like, man, this guy's this guy's just as good, and and uh, but you're you're not getting the baggage, and so 
I, I, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of AJ is just how he enabled us as fans to kind of move on and talk about something good during a period of time when there wasn't a lot of good. That franchise was an embarrassment. Carson Palmer embarrassed it. That season in 2010 was miserable, more miserable than any anything they've done since or or prior. Um, and and AJ more than anybody else to me allowed us to start talking about something good, something worth building around and the career that he had ended up living up to the, to the early hype. Um, that's what I think of. There's, I, I think of individual moments, but more than anything, I, I think of that 2011 season and how this, this wide receiver from Georgia emerged as kind of the anti Chad and somebody around whom the Bengals could build and somebody that we could get excited about when there wasn't a lot to be excited about with this franchise. And it was right from the jump. I mean, his first game as a pro, he catches a game-winning touchdown late in the fourth quarter. It was his only catch of that game, but it it did. It really just kind of took off right right and he from caught the start. It, caught it from Bruce Grad- Grad- or Bruce Gradkowski. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, that's right. Uh, so, like, if you if you distill his career down, its most memorable moment, I think everybody would pick the fight against Jalen Ramsey because it was so. <laughs> I mean, it was so out of character, and that that's why it was so memorable. But, but was there a game? Or a catch? Was there like a game that that in your mind, Mo, was the quintessential AJ Green game? Week sixteen, two thousand twelve, was an absolute matching of the nitwits in terms of coaching. Marvin Lewis and Mike Tomlin <laughs> did what they could to give the game to the other guy, uh, and so they go to Heinz Field. If they win, they're in. If they lose, I don't think they're eliminated, but they they need some stuff to happen. So <clears throat> it felt like a playoff game. They had gotten off to a rough start. I think they were two and five or two and six. They win a bunch of games, put themselves in a position. They go to Heinz field and the game is just awful. Um, (laughs) And I think Ben Roethlisberger throws a pick. If I'm not mistaken, the Bengals get it back. And in one play, they move into Josh Brown field goal range. And the one play was like a 21, 22 yard pass from Andy Dalton to, to AJ green. Andy was not good that day. AJ was, uh, went well over a hundred yards. If my memory serves me correct. And I think it does, but, but I, I, I remember kind of thinking to myself like, all right, this is where number 18 is going to have to make a play, put this game in field goal range, because if this thing goes to overtime, God knows what these two coaches are going to do. We're going to have a tie. That's going to be unfulfilling. <laughs> I don't know why, because somebody asked on Twitter, what moment comes to mind? The moment that should come to mind is the playoff catch against the Steelers which should be this iconic moment in this momentous victory. There should be a statue of that play. Unfortunately, the Bengals lost the football game because of a series of events that AJ had nothing to do with. That should be the moment. But, uh, you know, there were all the games he had against Baltimore. There was the the season opener in 2014 when he had the juggling catch right after I think Steve Smith scored to to give Baltimore the lead. But for whatever reason, the first thing that I thought of, because it, it's one of my favorite Bengals victories ever. It's it's basically beating the Steelers in a playoff game at Heinz Field, capping off a season that was really clunky to start, really fun at the end, and AJ made the biggest play in that game, at least offensively. That's what I think of the most. Two weeks later, they played a playoff game, and they chose not to throw him the football in the entire first <laughs> half. That's a different story, I guess, but uh, that's the play that, to me, comes to mind more than any other. Can I sum up the aesthetic appeal of that game in one stat line? <laughs> yeah. 
Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, 15 carries, 14 yards, long of four. <laughs> long of four. Oh, that was just keep shoving it in there. Eventually yeah. you'll pop one, right? Uh, I think it was, AJ AJ had 10 for 116 in that game. Yeah. 21 yarder to uh, set up the Josh. And, and it was like a 13-10 or 16-13 or something. But I uh, it's uh, it, because I remember the game is the first time I ever watched a Bengals game with my current wife. And so it, boy, that was fun for her, I'm sure. But yeah, they <laughs> she's still here. Yeah, uh Josh Brown was the special teams player of the month in his one month as a Bengal that's because right. he made he, you know in, in part because he's all stopper ganger. That's yeah, right. Looks, that's looks right. Like but the uh the the AJ Green catch to set up the kick for whatever mm-hmm. reason when when that question was posed on Twitter yesterday um that's the first one come to that, that comes to mind. Also, you can't talk about AJ without referencing just his mastery of the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, he was That's at his it. best yeah. in yeah. those games. He was incredible. I was looking at his game logs yesterday, and it's like, man, he he was as statistically he was as good against Baltimore as I remember. I tweeted this yesterday, but I specifically remember listening to the soundbite of John Harbaugh after a game saying, mm-hmm. I mean, one of these years we're going <laughs> to cover this guy. I mean, and just being just so sick of it. But to me, you know, the answer to that question to me is that is that there isn't a moment. I, and it is real. The realization, whenever it was along that line, whether it was an 11 or 12 of I have the luck of getting to watch this guy every mm. single week. Cause every week he'd do something that made you gasp of just mm-hmm. like, Oh my goodness. And then when you go back and I tweeted out the video, it's like 21 minutes long of just his best of highlights. It's, it reminds you of every week. There was one of those every mm-hmm. week. There was some one hander around a guy or leaping up with a miracle toe drag on the sidelines. He's just such a freak or the like unbelievable, ball track of an underthrown deep ball which you know was very rare occurrence but you know uh and, and coming back and jumping over top of a couple people to do it or you know the hail marys i mean all of that stuff every single week there was one of those and if there wasn't you were stunned and to me it was the totality of that um of just how rem- remarkable he was as far as the beauty with which he played, the the unbelievable athleticism that he showed every single week and always making you gasp at least once a game. The only thing that could stop A.J. Green was the welcome stadium turf. No, come on. <laughs> oh, <man>. Damn, <laughs> it did, damn. It did, it did end poorly, unfortunately. But, but you referenced, you know, the, the times he would have to make an adjustment. I mean, you it, – it's, it's hard, and you don't do it as a slight against Andy, but you just wonder – what does AJ Green's career look like if he plays with, you know, a genuine A-lister quarterback? What if he played mm-hmm. with a guy that had Carson Palmer's physical talents? What if he played, you know, he obviously was here his rookie season, but what if he played the bulk of his career with with Joe Burrow? And it's it's no knock on Andy, but you know, he he had a ridiculously good career and statistically significant career, but he never played with a, you know, just a a great quarterback. And and you always I mean, we we did that often during his prime. Like, man, how good would this guy be if he wasn't always having to contort himself to catch a ball that wasn't, you know, right in the numbers? Um, right. And it's you, you can say that and, and still appreciate. It's hard to talk about Andy without AJ. It's hard. To, it's hard to talk about AJ without talking about Andy Dalton because they ended the league at the same time. They won so many games together. But what if the Andy part is somebody who just physically is a is a better quarterback? Then what kind of career are we are we talking about? Uh, I mean, I, I just. When you think about the, that five-year stretch of 
percentage of times that Bengals fans left then Paul Brown Stadium <laughs> happy because of a win yes. and talking about how unbelievable it was what they just saw AJ Green do. That was a high. That was a big number. It, it was a high yeah. percentage mm-hmm. of times, and I think that is something that to me is should be the lasting legacy of that era. Even though a lot of people don't want it to be, uh, it, to me that's what it is. It was it was watching AJ Green do miracle things and that team winning a lot of games because of it. Yeah, he, I mean, he was incredible. And that you talked about that video and how it seemed like every game. There's a lot of those games or a lot of those highlights on that video where it was the same game where he had mm-hmm. his career highlights or two or three plays in the same game. It was I'm with you, Paul. It was just it was a treat to be able to watch him. And he was he was a great locker room guy, too. He wasn't he wasn't the greatest quote, but he he was always accessible and um, he was he was good to deal with. Um, and in our line of work, that's something that we always appreciate as well. He was the quintessential when he said something yeah. that needed to be said, yeah. it had been said. Right. Everybody took notice, whether it was about the offensive coordinator, whether it was about the way the offensive line is playing. After a game, A.J. Green, if something needed to be said, would be the one to say it, and it would be the one person that could say it and make a massive impact on everyone. Um, that was always, you know, he was always there to say something after a game, and and if it was something serious, it it mattered. Um, yeah, when when they whacked Ken Zampezi, I remember mm-hmm. that Thursday night, the next day, reading the AJ Green quote and talking about it on the air, going, you know, this this is AJ Green saying this. This isn't mm-hmm. some you know showboat me first wide receiver who's popping off after every game, who's just saying stuff just to say stuff. This if if AJ Green says the play calling is no good. I'm going to say the play calling is no good and it's yeah. time to move on. And they, mm-hmm. and they did. And they did. And they did. Um, Should get Ken Zampezi on your podcast to talk about AJ Green. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And mental units. I'm sure he would. Uh, let's, let's, um, let's move it on to our bet segment. Uh, let's recap where we're at. Jay, as we enter, this is it. This is the last f- fake bets for fake monetary units that we're going to do to conclude this season and wrap it up. Where does it stand as we know what people need to get? Okay. So Paul's in the lead at 221.7 units. Um, I'm in second at 197.6 units and Mo is right behind me in third at 195.4. Um, Paul has a future bet still on Doug Peterson being coach of the year. Mo has a future bet still on Brian Dable being coach of the year. So that is on there. And then whatever we do. So we're, we'll same thing. You've got 20 units to uh, spread across the super bowl. Uh, Mo, what have you got? Am I allowed to just make two bets or can I, yeah. Can I just give you what I have? Whatever you want. You, you, I mean, yeah, whatever you want. All right. I think Philly's going to win the game. I'm going to go Philadelphia money line. So if you think Philly's going to win the game, then you should bet on their quarterback to be the MVP. Jalen Hurts plus 130. <clears throat> but Jalen Hurts statistically, I'm not sure is going to look, you're going to look at his numbers and be wowed. So I'm going to take a flyer because I got some catching up to do here on the Miles Sanders MVP plus <clears throat> 2,500. I'm also, I have also got a prop for Miles Sanders to lead the game in rushing yards at plus 175. And I've got the Chiefs calling the first time out because it's Andy Reid. He might call one after the opening <laughs> coin flip. Uh, that's at minus 115. You could do with all that what you please. But if, if you want to make it two, let's go Miles Sanders MVP and uh, Philly to win the game and cover the number. There has It's been 25 years since a running back won MVP in the Super Bowl. Terrell Davis was the last Terrell one Davis. to do it. So um, 
I'm going the other way. I'm, I'm going to parlay Chiefs plus one and a half and the over uh, 50 and a half uh, for 10. And then I'm going to do a, a 10 unit bet on Travis Kelsey scoring the first touchdown, which is plus 700. That seems crazy high for him. He he's, he is the leader to do it, but that's still that, that seems like a pretty good value there. If they get down there, you know, the ball's going to him. Uh, all right, I will. Um, I'll do ten on the Chiefs to win straight up, um, and I will also throw in um, a fiver on Jarek McKinnon anytime TD, which is going off at plus one sixty right now. I'm just kind of playing it nice and safe here, you know, just trying mm. to just stack a little bit. Uh, I'm gonna throw an extra five in on the Gatorade color being orange, which is at plus three hundred. Uh, thanks to our fancy schmancy research that our people did, they have going back the last twenty years the color of the Gatorade uh, at every single time, and three of the last four have been blue. But the only one that was orange of the last four was the last Chiefs. time the Chiefs. One. So if mm. the Chiefs, I gotta think they're using the same color Gatorade. Have they I can't believe they've changed their Gatorade philosophy uh over the course of recent years. So if the Chiefs win, which I'm predicting, the Gatorade color should be orange. Or do you think they have multiple colors on the sideline? Well, I think what you have to look into is what would the color have been the year they lost to Tampa Bay? <clears throat> we don't well, I mean we'll never know. Yeah. We're yeah. never gonna know. We'll never so know. I mean, do we assume that, that Gatorade would have been? Or I'm just going orange? with what I've got. I've got that okay. it was orange the last time it was poured out from Kansas City. Went same coaching staff. I think the same, the same uh, Gatorade guy. I'm gonna just. I'm just gonna guess that. Uh, Don't you feel like one day there. there's gonna be a massive NFL gambling scandal where the guy in charge of the Gatorade is gonna be revealed <laughs> to have you know been making wagers maybe through his buddies uh, on what color the Gator like. I know there's very strict anti-gambling rules for NFL personnel, but if you're the Gatorade guy, how do you not go to all your friends? <laughs> right? Like, I, I wonder this all the time about, about people who bet on professional wrestling. Like, if yeah. you're the guy that writes the script for professional wrestling, knowing you mm -hmm. can take wagers on it, how are you not? You're literally the guy who determines who wins. Well, if you're the Gatorade guy, you maybe can, you know, have an account, but your brother can, your buddies can. One day, this is going to reveal itself, and there's going to be a massive scandal, and it's going to bring the NFL to its knees. I merely hope that I'm here to write it because I cannot wait for that <laughs> possibility. Um, Mo, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy New Orleans this afternoon and the uh, the UC Bearcats uh, this evening, and we will uh, we'll catch up with you next week, and we will revisit who ended up victorious in our completely fake, <laughs> not for anything. It's going to be awesome. Training. All right. Later, Mo. See you guys. Thanks, Mo. All right, great catching up with Mo J as he is about to go back out in. I'm so jealous. I want to go hit New Orleans up. I just I miss it. That was one of my favorite trips we had this year. I got, we didn't really do any good uh, year in review honors, um, but if I always like to throw best road trip in there, it would be pretty hard to beat New Orleans. It'd be pretty hard to beat New Orleans. That was a pretty <laughs> unbelievable trip. I wasn't on that one, so um, sorry, Jake. Yeah, uh, Tampa was a good trip. <laughs> Tampa was a good trip, and what yeah. Mo was talking about with the the Gatorade guy, maybe some inside inside information. I'm surprised they do. I mean, is there an easier bet to win than length of national anthem? I mean, the guy that's singing it, Chris Stapleton, this year, 
he knows exactly how long it's going to be. He could easily tell people. And the thing with those prop bets, though, I do think a lot of them are capped. It's not not like someone can like Mattress Mag can go put a million or whatever on on those. I think those uh, oftentimes are capped at five hundred or a thousand dollars. But still, if you go tell a bunch of people that you're going to hit the the anthem in one twenty two, people could win. <laughs> you get a nice little chunk of change that you can play with in the rest of the game. You would know that about caps on the Gatorade props, <laughs> <laughs> right up your alley. Um, all right, let's get to Arby's, Jay, shall we? Yeah. Um, I'll start. Huh? How should I start this? I can just sit back and listen for a bit because <laughs> I feel like I feel a rant's coming. No, 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 no. It's weird. Like so. Okay. When you when you're in our when you're in our profession, um, in the way the internet is structured these days, if you have big news, um, or you feel like you have broken some kind of interesting news or some observation uh, that's important uh, that you're reporting. Uh, yeah, it, it can go viral in a hurry. You can become the talk of the internet for a minute. Um, and a lot of times, I'm not going to say that's the goal, but it's not bad. Um, it's If it's something that you've worked hard on, that you've reported, and you stand by it, and that's great. Maybe the most frustrating thing, and I think players – I feel I think players commiserate with this the same way. The most frustrating thing is to feel like something that you don't stand by, that you didn't say, or like players say, oh, I was taken out of context or whatever it was, is churned out, shoved into the internet funnel, and it just ends up it's and it's out of control, right? And there's nothing you can do about it. There really isn't. And that's what happened with the T. Higgins conversation on Friday. I'm just trying to have a nice little Friday, Jay. <laughs> first Friday of the offseason. Here we go, weekend. Going to get that first weekend. You know, the path to the, the offseason path series in the pocket. It's done. Everything's been out for a day and a half. We're, we're feeling free and clear. Making my plans to, you know, have a nice dinner, take the kids out. It's going to be fantastic. And next thing you know, the internet is going nuts claiming that myself working apparently for the Atlantic <laughs> said that the Bengals could trade T Higgins. They're going to trade T Higgins. He's making outrageous demands, Jay. <laughs> and it gets shoved out into the internet and everybody believes that that is what is happening. When in actuality, anybody that listened to this podcast last week, and I went back and re-listened to us last week. I made sure to reread everything that I wrote uh, 10 times. See, it, could this be misconstrued? It, it never at any – the whole point of the offseason path was laying out what's in front of the Bengals. As they sit down to make their decision, what is in front of them? And with T. Higgins is, okay, he is entering this portion of the program that we've seen receivers enter as he's extension eligible. Can they extend him? What is the precedent here that has happened in the past? Can they get that deal done? It's the same agent of Jesse Bates. Are they going to play this out the same way as it did with Jesse Bates, who stayed, but they kind of haggled for a number of times? Can you pay uh, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Joe Burrow all simultaneously? Laying out this is what's in front of them, pointing out this 
could be things they have to think about, all of these options. At no point is it saying they are going to trade T. Higgins or they're having serious discussions about doing this. You just have to think about these things, okay? And it and it, and now all of a sudden it's this it's this huge thing and and people are like the Bengals are trading T Higgins and then Dan Orlovsky's on ESPN like oh man go Bears go get them and it's like you know and everybody latches on from their corners of the internet and it's just way out of control it's frustrating because I can tweet out for those that want to read here's exactly what it said and everyone can know that but not half the people maybe more that are the average person who isn't following where it comes from has no idea that, that was completely essentially fabricated and thrown out there. And that's very, very frustrating. Um, Jay, if you have anything you want to say about it for a second, you can, and I'll hop back into a little bit more nuanced portion of the conversation while I drink some water. Well, I, I, I agree with everything you said. It's just the way that a lot of these aggregators work now. But I, my question for you is on Friday when you were trying to have a good day and this thing starts blowing up, how many tweets did you have composed mm. that you did not send? Okay. <laughs> Five to six. Oh, wow. At where I dialed back and it was like, okay, am I going to go after the person? Do I want to at them? I was like, no, I don't want to at them. I don't want to give them the attention they crave. Mm. I, I they wanted out of this. I don't want to make it worse. And then I was like, "Do I am I mean?" Well, I don't. I, you want to be like a certain level of pissed off, but you don't want to show people how pissed off you maybe are. And then I just want people to read and understand what it actually said, which is where I ended up landing. But it does take a few drafts and a couple calls to editors to make sure that we're all cool on the up and up on how we attack this. Cause this stuff happens. I mean, stuff happens, especially when you're behind a paywall, this mm. stuff happens. Here's one thing I want to talk about. And if I have a regret over the way the story was written is that I didn't lay this all the way out. Cause again, we were trying to just do a quick snapshot. I wasn't trying right. to go all the way deep into all the nuance of the history here. Let me say this. Here's why talking about it. I mean, I'm not saying the Bengals would do this, uh, and in fact, they're not going to, like, they're trying to win a championship. Like we said with T Higgins, he's great. The same way, follow the Jesse Bates path. We talked about all of that. Um, but when people call and you talk about precedent, here's what it is. Last year, there were, there were five receivers who were entering the extension eligible portion of their contract who had been big name receivers who had over 3000 yards and double digit touchdowns and were viewed as legit dudes. Okay. They were AJ Brown in Tennessee, who was a second round pick DK Metcalf in Seattle, who was a second round pick Debo Samuel in San Francisco, who was a second round pick Terry McLaurin in Washington, who was a third round pick and Marquise Brown, uh, in Baltimore, who was a first-round pick. Of those five, two were traded. Three were extended. None played on their rookie deal, fourth year in the rookie deal. A.J. Brown requested a trade. Got it. D.K. Metcalf, all, none of these people showed up at any of the offseason and made big deals of the fact that they were not appearing at any offseason program portion of stuff. D.K. Metcalf was certainly 
vocal about not being happy with the fact he hadn't gotten a deal. Debo Samuel requested a trade very publicly. Terry McLaurin did not request a trade, uh, but did not appear in any of the offseason program. Marquise Brown requested a trade. All of these people played that card, right? So that's a card. <laughs> that I mean, that's kind of what the situation is when you're talking about guys in this situation just last year. The same situation that T. Higgins, C.D. Lamb, and Justin Jefferson are entering into this year. And what happens? Again, they all get extensions. Two of them get traded. A.J. Brown traded on draft day, immediate extension by the Eagles. He's playing in the Super Bowl. Tennessee's GM got fired. Marquise Brown traded to Arizona. He didn't like the system as much as they couldn't come to a deal. Eric DeCoste talks about how he grinded over this decision for months. Eventually did end up making the deal. They selected Tyler Linderbaum with the first round pick they got from Arizona as part of that. He has is he play on the fifth year option, or he has the fifth year option for next year. He did not receive an extension. Metcalf got his extension on July 28th after all th- after Metcalf and Samuel both did a hold ins mm-hmm. in training camp. They showed up and refused to participate. Um, Joe Mixon did this a couple years ago. Hold in. We've seen that happen. Uh, before um, Metcalf and Samuel both did hold ins and eventually signed deals, very similar ones, both three years, a little over 70 million uh, DK Metcalf with 58 guaranteed Debo Samuel with 41 guaranteed uh, Terry McLaurin did his deal in mid July or early July, right after the fourth. Um, and it was similar three years, a little under 70 million, a little over 54, about 54 million guaranteed. Again, that's the setup. So the idea that this is the these these are the precedents that are that are going to be worked off of by T's agent and by the Bengals is what's in front of you to, to say that you have to be prepared for all possible things that could happen here, including hold-ins, trade requests, extensions given, um, are all part of what they're going through and weighing at this point. They want to win championships. They want to do it with T. Higgins. That is the far likeliest scenario. I hate that I have to continue to say it, but I want to make sure we say it clear as day. They have no desire to trade T. Higgins. They fully expect this, I'm sure, to end up a lot like, hopefully without the hold-ins, more probably more like Terry McLaurin did, right? Try to sign something early in the offseason, get it done, and put him away. If it's three years, $75 million, Get it done in July. I think everybody uh, would be happy with that. Will that happen? I don't know. Nobody knows. We'll see. But they'll happily, if it doesn't, tell him we love to see you in the fall catching a pass on opening day from Joe Burrow. Yeah, the, the one area where maybe he's not a comp to those other guys, all those other guys are are the wide receiver one on their teams. Yeah. And he is not. And so – and Mike Brown doesn't blink. And then again, we're not I'm like going down that road where this is what the, the path that T is going to take. But the, the other thing I took away from this is that the people that were aggregating it incorrectly. If if you were reporting what they thought you were reporting, when you think that would have been in the lead would have been in the headline. I mean, it was way down in the story where you got to the whole T. Higgins situation. Under extension and, and, candidates. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's just it was just a fail on the part of some people. And like you said, once it gets out there in the Twitter sphere, it can just catch fire. And it did. And um, it was unfortunate because it, it 
it makes whether you reported it that way or not, it, people assume you did. Perception is reality, right? Yeah. Right. And I could, I could, I just, I could almost hear you seething uh, all the way up here in Hamilton. You know, you just, it happens, right? Yeah. It, it happens. And it's, I guess, no more laying out the path, no more laying out what's in front of teams, I guess, is maybe, yeah. maybe that's the moral of the story. <laughs> um, so that's, I guess that's my Arby's. That's, that was my Friday. Yeah. Pretty nice little Friday. My, mine came Thursday. Mine came the day before that. It was a much more fun one. It was uh, watching Trey Hendrickson in, in the Pro Bowl games. I know a lot of people thought the Pro Bowl games were were dumb, and uh, I don't think viewership was real good. But I I was thoroughly entertained uh, watching him catch punts. And, and for people that didn't watch, at first they had to catch a punt with one ball in their hand, and then two, and then three, and then four. And I believe he was the – he was the only AFC AFC guy, and he might have been the only guy, period, that was able to catch the fifth ball while holding four. Trey Hendrickson, by the way, has never held a football in a in a game. He has no fumble recoveries. He has no interceptions. He's got his <laughs> hand. He's got his hand on uh, I think five or six career pass deflections. But this is a guy, and, and I remember you know Pac Man used to do this all the time. He would see how many he could hold in in, in training camp practices and catch them off the jugs and see how many. Uh, he could catch while holding other ones. And then Darren Simmons actually had guys do kind of a variation of that as a regular drill where they would either hold one and then throw it up in the air to the, to the other hand and then catch it with the hand that was previously holding one or just intentionally catch a punt one handed. Um, and I, I, I've never, I know other guys that aren't punt returners go out there and sometimes do it in training camp and have fun. I've never seen Trey Hendrickson out there fielding punts. And I was just, I was thoroughly entertained with his ability to, to show up everybody else. And it was more, it was a lot of linemen. It was a lot of guys that weren't used to catching balls period. But uh, I was, I was really impressed and entertained with that small part of the pro bowl games. Uh, yeah. And I guess his wrist's Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you get a, uh, you, you also get Jamar Chase scoring a touchdown and throwing the yeah. ball to T Higgins, which Higgins. I did enjoy. Yeah. Um, for for his buddy out there, and, and I really enjoyed uh, Tyler Boyd and T Higgins in the suite having a good old time. Uh, if you follow <laughs> them on Instagram, uh, and. Tyler Boyd trying to give Jamar Chase a drink during the Pro Bowl and Jamar being like, oh, guess I shouldn't. And he tweeted out later, uh, you know, thinking about that check. Want to make sure I didn't sacrifice any yeah. any getting my Pro Bowl checks or, or any of that <laughs> stuff there. Uh, so did not take a drink from from TB, who was in the suite. I love the Bengals getting the suite right by the end zone, though, there in, yeah. in, in Allegiant Stadium. Uh, good time. Also, they weren't the only ones there. Pictures going around. Joe Burrow, Jesse Bates, Chidabe Wuzie, Jake Browning uh, meeting up with their friends uh, with Nick Bosa, George Kittle. They're all kind of together at one point. But weirdly, these these AFC Championship game losing teams uh, managed to congregate. I know Bosa, very close friends with Burrow, wrote about that in mm-hmm. the Hubbard Burrow friendship story. But um, kind of fun to see all of them hanging out together in Vegas over the weekend. All right. Uh, Bengals growler bet here. You know what? I'm, I have a run past her boot that I was going to throw in here just to oh, add okay. on to the Higgins thing uh, and make sure we sneak one in here. Uh, opening day. Um, T Higgins is extended, has been extended. Uh, he is playing on a rookie deal. Oh, hold on. My dog wants to say hi to everybody here real quick. <laughs> 
So I think there's a mailman. Mail delivery. Mail delivery. Yeah, mail's here. Made it today. That's good news. It's gonna, Uncle Phil's going to scare him away. Uh, <laughs> so run past her boot. T. Higgins on opening day is playing fully extended and playing, uh, playing on his rookie deal or not playing in the game for any number of reasons, for the Bengals at least. Run past her boot. Well, I'm going to boot not playing for the Bengals. I just yeah, I don't I don't the, see that obvious. happening. Yeah. And then the other two, I I I could see it going either way. I I don't I don't know if they feel cuz they I they definitely want to keep Jamar around. Do they feel like they can keep Jamar, Joe Burrow, and T Higgins and still have a, a quality roster? I, I I think I'm going to run with him being on his rookie deal. Um I he has he has some leverage, but it's not as great as like I said. He's not the number one guy like those other guys were. Mike Brown doesn't blink when t- guys try to do this holdout thing. Um, so I, I'll say t- I'll run with T on his rookie deal. Uh, I'll pass on him being extended, and then I'll, I'll boot him being elsewhere. Yeah, um, I'm. You know, I just got to say, five for five last year, and extensions getting done um, mm-hmm. amongst that group. You mentioned he he is different from those guys in a lot of ways. Although DK Metcalf on a team with Tyler Lockett, there you can have discussions there. But I mean, still legit number one guys um, on those teams. Despite all the posturing and talk, you know, Metcalf, Samuel, McLaurin, all extended. Uh, I, I'm with I'm going to run with extension um, yeah. and pass on playing on the rookie deal and deep boot, hard boot uh, in not playing in the game for any number of reasons, non-injury related, of course. So um, Mm -hmm. that's a, but figure I'd throw that out there just for us to have on the record. All right. Growler bet time, Jay. Super Bowl growler bet. Uh, Last one for a game this season. Or. You guys are, I'm sure the scabs are forming from the wound from the AFC championship game. We're going to rip it right back off. Um, And we're going to have a penalty and officiating related Bengals growler bet. Um, You need to tell us the time of the first score negated by a penalty. So touchdown pass overturned, or there's a penalty on holding and it's called back anything that, that, OPI, anything that negates a score, any penalty that negates a score, what is the time of game on that? And we didn't discuss this. Uh, what what kind of buffer do we want to? Let's go five. Seconds? Let's go five seconds either direction. Wow. Yeah, it's a Super okay. Bowl, man. It's a party. Let's have fun. Yeah, five seconds either way. So you got a 10 second window there to hit this. Um, if you say there won't be one, then you need to tell us the total number of penalty yards in the game. I think New York's going to be involved. <laughs> so I, I think we're going to get a score where New York comes in and says, no, I don't think so uh, at some point. So I'm going to, it would be great as if it was a field goal that like went over top of a field goal post or something. I'd kind of like that. <laughs> uh, but I would count it holding on a field goal attempt. Maybe that, yeah. that would count to any score, any score that is wiped out by a penalty or New York. Uh, I'm going to say, going to be oh it's going to be big it's going to be fourth quarter and it's going to be with 752 in the fourth quarter is when we're going to see a score wiped out by a penalty and we're going to see a rule change in march 
<laughs> I don't know about a rule change. I, I I feel like too they and this goes back to that AFC Championship game where they didn't call the holding on the Chiefs. They didn't call the the roughing the passer against Burrow. They they do tend to to swallow the whistles and hold onto the flags a little more late in these big games. The the Osai one just couldn't be avoided. That they had to throw that flag there. I, I think I'm with you. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be something early. I'm I'm going to say 12:55 of the second quarter. Um, maybe one team jumps out to a two score lead, and they're like, "No, no, no, we need to keep this game a little closer." There's a phantom holding call that keeps it a one score game. Jay, are we going to count holding in the end zone for a safety? No, because that doesn't negate the score. No, but it causes that, a score. Well, it causes it, but this is this is a right, a, a score right. negated by a penalty. Yeah, I know, but I feel like it's Carl. It's a Carl Sheffers game. Okay, <laughs> it's if Sheffers interjects himself into scoring plays. Is what I feel like, or whoever's answering the phones in New York these days. Yeah. Um. All right. So we're on the record for those that will wrap us up. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday is uh is here. I I don't know if Bengals fans are interested in the game. Watching it, not watching it, choosing to hate watch it, re-watching the Bengals-Bills game instead. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. But uh, either way, enjoy yourself. Be safe uh, wherever if you're driving around um, or overindulging in Skyline Dip. Don't eat too much. Uh, hope you en- en- enjoy it. Uh, all right, Jay. This has been a fun episode. Sorry if I got yeah. too riled up. No, nope. um, you had a right to. No, I don't. You know, I don't want to get all riled up. Yeah, it was. I, I thought I thought it was going to be a little angrier than it was. So I, oh, I think you, no, I've come I down. If, you, if it would have been Friday, if we would have recorded yeah. on Friday, it would have been different. But uh, we've, we've we've tried to come down off that cloud. So. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will uh, we will talk to you next time. Have a good one.